Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we're going to be revisiting some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2021. First, we start by speaking with evangelizer Patrick Sullivan, who tells us about the three languages of evangelization. Of all the books I read last year, Patrick Sullivan's The Three Languages of Evangelization was by far the most interesting and useful one. You don't want to miss our conversation. After that, we will meet liturgical composer Stephen Pishner. In our second half hour, we will be speaking with Archbishop Donald Bolin of Regina, who tells us all that we need to know about the delegation of indigenous elders, knowledge keepers, residential school survivors, and youth who will be traveling to Rome to meet with Pope Francis. And we end the show by meeting singer-songwriters and married couple Jesse and Kathleen LeBlanc, also known as Found Together. And of course, we'll also listen to some great music. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at slmedia.org and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, you can look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also email me, pedro at slmedia.org. We begin now with the three languages of evangelization. Have you ever tried to explain the faith to someone and it's like hitting your head against the wall? Some of us has, have spent years having conversations with the same person about the faith and it's like you're speaking a different language. Well, author and evangelizer Patrick Sullivan argues that it's because we are speaking a different language. In his new book, The Three Languages of Evangelization, Sullivan explains exactly why our efforts to evangelize so often fall flat and tells us how to change that. And I am ashamed to say that I wish that I had come up with this idea before Patrick because it is brilliant, but I didn't. So the least I can do is get him on the program. So I'm very happy to have Patrick Sullivan join us now. Patrick, it's good to see you. Welcome back. It's great seeing you, Deacon. Um, so so it, it is brilliant, but, but so tell us, so what are the, these three languages of evangel evangelization? Well, these are words that everyone has heard many times over, but have not actually applied to their own lives. And in particular to evangelization, it's truth, goodness, and beauty. Right. And the way I like to get the people's heads around this is to imagine that you just got off of a plane into a very foreign land and you hear a cacophony of voices all around you mm -hmm. and your brain can't make sense of it. But then someone speaks your language. Mm -hmm. You cannot help but tune in. That's what we're talking about. When someone's been trying to evangelize you for years speaking truth, for example, we can talk a little bit more about what yeah, that yeah. means. But you're not a speaker of truth. Your primary language is maybe beauty or goodness. You're going to tune out. There's a kind of a, a fatigue that sets in. Right. But if, once we switch... Let's say I'm a speaker of beauty. I actually am a speaker of beauty. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm revealing a big secret about myself. If you use that language with me, you've got my attention. I cannot help but tune in. And this is what I want to show people in this book is that you can do this. You can actually switch languages. And suddenly that person in your life who was just kind of being nice and polite and pretending to listen, quite frankly, is now captivated. And it's as simple as switching languages. So that, that's fascinating because, I mean, you spend your life, this is all you do is you evangelize. So right. like if you're, you, your instinct is to speak the language of beauty, like how often were you in a crowd? And it's like, I guess a third of the crowd is just like completely lost. 
Well, that's exactly, that's how I started to pick up on this. Actually, yeah. I'd be giving these presentations to crowds and I would give an example of a starry night sky. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, have you ever looked up and saw the beauty there? And yeah, about a third of the crowd would nod, but the others <laughs> would. <laughs> I think, well, I thought it was a great example. Yeah, and what yeah. other times I would, I would give like, well, you know how St. Augustine once said, and I'd give this logical thought and others would be like, that's what I needed to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And time and time again, you do hundreds of presentations, you start, to notice patterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started to test my own life, individual evangelization with extended family. And suddenly I was reaching people I never thought I'd be able to reach within 10 years or 20 years. It's fascinating, fascinating. So so you gave us the starry sky example. So that's a little bit of, of beauty. Can you give us another example maybe? I, I think I'm a truth speaker. So so I, I think so, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong and you can help me. Um, it, it's quite so. This is one of the things I loved about writing the book was coming up with all these very practical ways to point out whether you are this yes, or that yes. people in your life, whether they are. The truth speaker in your life is the one who loves, they just love going down the rabbit hole of thought. Yeah. They do not care if they're wrong in the end. This is a mistake we make. We think, uh, well, I have, I have a family member who just loves to argue. That is no indication that they're a truth speaker. The truth speaker loves to go down the rabbit hole of thought just in case you have a gem of thought for them. I'll give you a very quick example. Years ago, when I thought I knew everything, I was studying theology, and in particular, I was studying Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. And I put up my hand in this small seminar group, and I thought I had a serious objection to one of Thomas's thoughts. Yeah. And the professor said, well, I don't have time to explain this now. Can we meet for coffee? And I want to hear your objection. I thought, okay, well, I must be onto something here. <laughs> very young, very smart, sure. Well, we met up for coffee and he heard my objection and he easily dismissed it with rational thought. It was wonderful. Right. And I asked him, so you knew this wasn't really going anywhere. Why did you take the time to meet with me? And he said, because there was a chance. I said, a chance for what? He said that you might have that one little gem I want. That's you see, amazing. truth speakers want that. Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't matter the field of study either. If you have an interesting fact, something that's true, a gem, they mm. want it. If it's about the stars or the universe, or it doesn't right, matter. Right. They are in search for it and they love discovering it. Okay, so then so you, that's true. Yeah, Ethan, that's, is that you? I think so. I was going to say, I think I'm a little bit of all three, but, and I guess you do go into the book as well, because you would have a primary one and then, you know, maybe a secondary, and maybe I guess the third one would still be in there somewhere. It can be in there at some point. So just quickly then goodness, as you already talked about beauty and truth. So goodness would be someone who's. Goodness is when the person you've seen this, they're just captivated, captivated by the good action. My daughter pulled me aside. He had a rainstorm. And I mentioned this in the book Yeah, yeah, where I would just want to get in the car. I'm cold. I'm frustrated. And she was pulling on my arm like a car accident just happened. Like something needs our attention now. And finally, I gave her the attention. She wanted. I said, what is it? And all she saw was a man giving her his coat to a woman in the rain. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. For her, that was like, stop everything. Yeah. God is at work. Yeah. And you know people like this in your life. Yeah. They're not giving you a gift because they want retribution. They want a tit for yeah, tat, yeah. as they say. All they want is there to be more goodness in the world. Mm-hmm. And when you tap into that and you speak that language to them, you've got them. Yeah. I hear, I've heard for years now, you get story after story. People saying, I switch languages. And then the conversation, which I could never get started, just wouldn't stop. Yeah, it's amazing. Tell me about how the church is good again. I want to hear more of that. Or tell me how the church has preserved the arts. 
right? Yeah. Beauty speakers. Yeah. I want to hear more about that. Uh, tell me about these great arguments. I've never come across these arguments. Years ago, I had a man come into my office. I used to, this is eons ago, work in a parish office. A man came in and he said, I want to be a Catholic like this. I said, a Catholic like what? He said, the smart kind. <laughs> <laughs> the smart kind. I said, I, I have no idea where you're going with this. He said, well, I just found St. Augustine. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm in love. I want to be a Catholic now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. That's what we're talking about. If you can switch, if you can learn these little things, different imagery, different examples, show them what you're doing in your life. Show them how the church fits that language perfectly because it speaks all three fluently. You really have a conversation. Yeah, it's amazing. So, So I think it's pretty clear how this can apply to me personally but can you say is this something that can be applied let's say at a parish level like how should absolutely. a parish use this absolutely I, I keep encouraging pastors um any evangelization teams start creating three different mini groups three different teams one that speaks beauty well perfectly whatever it is now go and look for activities to grab the beauty speakers uh-huh you're, you have a small group of goodness speakers. Good. You know how to speak the language to the goodness speakers. Do activities, do events that grab them there. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the truth speakers. Now we're focusing, we're honing in. Because here's, here's a sad truth. Our pastors, like all of us, yes. have one language that's primary. Absolutely. So guess what the direction is of the parish? Yeah, absolutely. Here's yes. speaker. We're doing catechesis. I'm going to explain the scriptures. And they do this all very well. But the goodness speakers sitting there going, yeah, but what have we done for the poor lately? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. the beauty speakers like, yeah, that's great. But look at our art. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I'd say that even as a, as a preacher, as a homilist, I need to start thinking about, okay, how can I make sure that I have examples that's going to speak to all right. three groups in my homily so that every, because in my, in my case, it's always, it's the truth speakers that I was like, well, that was a great homily. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other ones maybe yeah. not so much. <laughs> exactly. So now I know, I mean, yeah. this book, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. This is, this is great. Um, so the three languages of evangelization, you said, Patrick, or you told me earlier that it's, it's available uh, as an ebook right now, but the hard copy will be ready soon, correct? That, that's exactly it. So if you head over to Amazon right now, you can grab the ebook. The hard covers will be joining it in a, a few short days, hopefully. And you're going to see and hear lots about it from our website and other places. So Excellent. Right. Okay, well, good. Thank you. Thank you so much for writing the book. I mean, this totally changed my summer completely. So thank you. Thank you, Wonderful. Patrick. Thank Sullivan. You. Patrick Sullivan, he's a Catholic lay evangelist. He's the founder of Evango, an organization that is dedicated to helping you Build the Kingdom of God. He's behind the Me and My House Parenting resource and the author of many books. His latest is The Three Languages of Evangelization. You can find out more at evango.net. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Stephen Pishner, with his single, Quiet My Soul. Quiet my soul Quiet the storms within me Quiet my soul Calm all my inmost fears, quiet my soul. Let me hear your voice, O God, I know you are here. You knew me before I was born. You formed me 
That was Stephen Pishner with his single, Quiet My Soul. Now, Stephen Pishner has been doing music since he's nine years old. He's a pipe organist and the director of music and liturgy at All Saints Catholic Church in Bridgeport, West Virginia. When he's not being a pastoral musician, Stephen spends a lot of his time composing liturgical songs, many that have been published by GIA Music, and you can find some of them on many GIA hymnals. And so it is a great pleasure to have Stephen Pishner joining us now. Stephen, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Um, I always like asking this question to organists because, <laughs> uh, I mean, you were probably interested in, in the organ as a young, as a kid, right? So what, right. what, what was it about the pipe organ that kind of interested that made you want to learn, hey, I want to learn how to play that instrument? <laughs> well, first of all, I started on piano and piano is yeah. good, but everybody has a piano, but not everybody has no. pipe organ. And so, you know, I would, I mean, most of the, the churches here had electronic organs, but some, when they had pipe organs, I was always fascinated about how does this work and why does this sound so great? And the warmth of it, yeah. you know, when, when you have a pipe organ in a, in a great space, a liturgical worship space, some church, a cathedral, there's something about it just makes the room warm with sound. And of course, now with, you know, with the, the technological age, the digital age, they've done sampling and, and done some great things with, with electronic digital organs, which again, you could even make yeah. the, make make the thing grander but i was always interested in in that and the fact that you you got to use your feet as well i was gonna ask you about that so you're you're like the two feet going yeah, two two, feet, two hands, that's everything. amazing i am so yeah. impressed i i 
I mean, I, I play piano and I, I've played yeah. organs, but I, and I could probably do one foot if I'm doing a basic kind of baseline. Yeah. Yeah. But you're actually reading like four staffs at the same time. You can. And sometimes it's, it's sometimes you have to divide it up. Your eyes have to divide up all four parts. Now, you know, granted, I play organ every Sunday. I play piano every Sunday. Um, I don't do get as much as I can to go and do more organ literature because right. it's just, the time just doesn't, it's just not there. But, you know, uh, there was a time when I, you know, in college, you had to get your level every semester you know, really? to, to progress on. And, 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 and it was tough, you know, and, and, uh, is it, is it hard? I mean, are you like kind of one among very few, like if, if anybody's looking for like a pipe organist, are you like on the list of five top in your diocese or something like that? Or, well, I wouldn't say that so much, but it's hard to find people that actually play the organ and because that's their instrument. A lot of people yeah. are people who made over from piano and things yes, like that. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, and, 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 and again, my degree is in organ. I have a special, my my fuller degree is music education mm -hmm. and and uh but i but i like doing liturgical music i like doing all kinds of music but there's something about liturgical music that i don't know just cuts to the core I yeah mean, that makes um, sense i was gonna ask and, you about about i was gonna ask you about that because sure. obviously you're you you like li playing liturgical music but you also compose liturgical music so correct mm -hmm. when when did you start like when did that start for you that you know, you're probably writing songs as a kid, but like, when was it like, I want to write liturgical music? Um, probably the late 80s, I just started trying um, because there was so much music that was coming to me in the mail and subscriptions and and, oh, yeah. and, and you'd, you'd look at the faithful missalette, you know, the old, you'd go into all kinds. Of, I'm thinking like, you know, and you're you dating just, yourself. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, putting, some kids don't even know what, what is a misalert. No, I mean, they don't. They read it on their phones if they even read it at all. But But what's funny is that this stuff would come and then I would go and, and, you know, I started playing for mass by myself, so to speak, uh -huh. with a cantor or leader of song or whatever they called it in those days it, it, when I was 12. But I started playing music at nine. I remember I even maybe even before 12, I think I played one song for a school mass. They had in an auditorium one time at Catholic school. But but they actually trusted me to, to get on the bench and play a full mass at being 12 years old. Wow. Uh, and and from and then. You know, I kind of got asked more and more and more. For much of the time, I, I played a lot of stuff by ear because my reading skills were, you know, yeah. they were yeah. they were they were what do you want to call it primitive. Yeah. Um, and then and I used to drive some of my piano teachers, and I had a nun who taught me to play the organ. She was fantastic, but sometimes I think someday she went home, and I think she had more gray hair because of me. <laughs> you know, because she'd say your ear is just so so far ahead of yes. your yes, so, yes. And and I and I she says I so know you, you fake it. it yeah. She says, I know you hear great stuff. She says, but we're trying to get you to read this language off this paper, so to speak. Right. And so, and there are days when I was like, mm, I see stuff on the page. And I'm like, I don't know that that just, it's too primitive. But um, I, I, I try to discipline myself to do both. Mm -hmm. But writing liturgical music, I just found, I thought, wow, I, stuff was just in my head. I don't know why it was there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't sit down and say, well, now I'm going to write a liturgical piece. It's just like it just came you'd you. see you'd see some words, stuff would come out. You do your best to put it on paper. Now in those days, there was no such thing as you know the computer no. programs where you could do like you know paper uh, and pencil, the finale, yeah. Sibelius, or Muse, or any of those kind of things. You just yeah. you wrote it on by hand and you and you made copies and you passed it out to some choir people who, yeah. after a long day, came to choir practice and they're sitting there listening to a kid trying to tell them what to do. Yeah. Now, I mean, that scenario is just you know hysterical when you look back at it, back yeah. at it. But the the thing is, is that there was just something that was just 
prompting me to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just grew and grew and grew until finally one day, um, after being in in the parish for a long time, um, uh, I think it was in the 90s, if I remember correctly, I had sent a piece to GIA Publications. Mm -hmm. And I thought I had done a setting of, of Psalm 51. And I used the the tune from um, Wondrous Love, which is a hymn tune. Da, da, dee, 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 dee. So I thought, you know what? That works. Maybe I could do that with like, you know, be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. Yeah. So I sent it to GIA and I heard nothing. Well, there, that's no surprise when you send yep. something to a publisher. You know, it's like it goes out. Who knows where it goes? Mm -hmm. And so I sent a, a, an email. Um, back to the uh, person in charge and I said just wanted to know if you were going to move on this should I withdraw it move on and about a month or so later they said thanks for the nudge we think this will work and they sold many 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 copies mm. and it was I think they sold out the very first run of whatever they printed yeah and, and to this day I still see people online with, worship, with their worship aids or recordings or whatever where they're using this hymn this this psalm that setting uh, that's or probably the, the yeah that must be the most i mean that's really why you write well not why but i think that for you as a to, to feel fulfilled to hear someone else doing the setting that you wrote or the, right. the song that you wrote at mass um um in a little time that we have because i did want to ask you a little bit so you did say that you do prefer liturgical music to secular music but you also obviously play secular music you have a yeah, band yeah. a secular band are yeah. you writing secular music as well or is it mostly just kind of like a cover band Cover band, yeah. uh, you know, cover band pop music, um, a variety of styles. Uh, I even have, uh, we even do shows all in Italian because of my yeah. heritage, Italian, yeah, 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 being right. Italian, and, and play different places. And some of those pieces from those recordings have made it onto um, some other radio stations throughout the United States. Have been mm. oh, doing some inter inter interviews in that, which is nice because that's another way to honor my heritage Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Um, and but uh, but I you know I was I was always. Um, blue to church music, liturgical music, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I even worked in college when I was at West Virginia Wesleyan, which is actually a Methodist college here in West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, when they found that I could, when I knew something about liturgy and something about music and I was a music major there, I got, I got drafted to be on the worship staff, which was an ecumenical staff. Okay. And so I worked with a lot of people. I had a lot of ecumenical experience and a little bit of interfaith experience with some of the other uh, faith uh, mm -hmm. presences that would come together once in a while on campus. And then when I was when I graduated, they said, "Could you stay on for a little while?" Well, a little while went on for six years, oh. and I said, "Okay, folks, this a little while is too long." So I think you need to have students start doing this like I did yeah. because I learned so much of it. Not all of the stuff was my favorite. Some of the stuff I was really you know, mesmerized by some of the mm -hmm. things I learned, but it was a great experience. And I just think music overall uh, helps people's prayer um, or can. Uh, yeah. I think, I think the si actually, I think sometimes the silence that follows the music yes. is where, where it starts really to work on the heart. Yes. And, and, I, and I think there's, there's a time for music and time for silence, like, you know, we hear yeah. in Ecclesiastes and things like that. But, yeah. but uh, that's why I wrote Quiet My Soul. And uh, and uh, we will get through the storm. I wrote in response to the pandemic because I yes. I just I just thought I still think we're in the storm, yes, but I think we're moving through it. Yeah. And I think it was I think it was interesting that Pope Francis comes out with that gospel when he yes, speaks in that empty piazza. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. and I thought I thought well, you know what? I'm I'm kind of like you know uh, I'm kind of like 
on par here on on, on key and because that's where he was going with it and I, that's what i just kept thinking about and that's what was in your heart yeah and that's the song we heard that that at the beginning of the program um we will get through the storm yeah. um the song that you wrote in re response to the pandemic and and to go back to what you said before i i mean it's true that that the music will help us pray i think god speaks to us through the music and it doesn't mean that the lyrics necessarily have to be religious quote unquote but there's no, something in no. the music that i think leads can lead us as you said to prayer and maybe that those moments come afterwards in the silence. Uh, Stephen, um, thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us and for sharing some of your music with us today and uh, for letting letting us get to know you a little better today. Thank you. Well, it's good. It's good to be here and um, hopefully we'll, we'll stay in touch in some way. I know? would like that very much. Um, Stephen Pishner, you can find him and his music on YouTube. Just search for Stephen P. If you just type his name, actually, you'll find him, Stephen Pishner. Um, or you can also find his music anywhere you stream music. If you missed any part of this interview, just head on over to slmedia.org slash podcast. That's where you can find all our programs. And here now is Stephen Pishner with his uh, Pentecost single, Lord Sent Out Your Spirit. Stephen Pishner with his single, Lord Send Out Your Spirit. This is a special edition of the Sultanite Hour featuring our favorite conversations of the fall of 2021. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook and also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and check out our website at slmedia.org. Welcome to the Sultanite Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. A few months ago, it was announced that Canadian bishops would be traveling to Rome with a delegation of indigenous survivors, elders, knowledge keepers, and youth to meet with Pope Francis. The meetings were scheduled to take place between December 17th to the 20th this year. However, due to uncertainty and potential health risks surrounding international travel right now with the new Omicron COVID-19 variant, the trip is being rescheduled for next year. The Vatican is committed to rescheduling, and so 
Maybe it's not now, but the trip will happen. In order to tell us all we need to know, earlier this week I spoke with Archbishop Donald Bolin of Regina, one of the organizers of the delegation. Archbishop Don, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks very much. Great to be with you. So I can imagine how turbulent the last couple of days have been for you. It must have been a difficult decision to reschedule. But since the meeting is still going to take place, we're not canceling. Can you remind us of what the purpose of the trip is? Sure. Yes, the last couple of days have been turbulent. But I mean, <laughs> no, they've been building on the good relations that we've built with national indigenous organizations over the past months. Mm-hmm. Uh, something which we certainly see as continuing. So those organizations are the AFN for First Nations, the Métis National Council, MNC, and the ITK is the Inuit uh, National Organization. Right. And, uh, you know, we worked closely with them and will continue to do so in, in trying to bring a group of survivors, uh, elders, knowledge keepers, and youth accompanied by their political leadership, mm-hmm. uh, by chiefs, uh, and accompanied by bishops, in order to meet Pope Francis and to have a, to give an opportunity to Pope Francis to really listen to and engage with Indigenous peoples, to hear the waves of suffering, uh, often connected with residential schools, and the various kinds of abuse that were suffered there, right. to hear something of the richness of their culture and tradition and ways, uh, and to to engage with them, and uh, to really. Mm-hmm let the Holy Spirit lead us. Uh, There's just been a longstanding request from indigenous leaders uh, to engage with Pope Francis in this regard. Right. So it's, it's a, I think a fairly simple purpose. I mean, it's just to to have the Holy father wants to listen to them. Um, I know I'm I'm assuming that there've been talks about maybe doing the meetings virtually because the meetings would have happened last year. They had, this is the second time it gets sort of postponed. Um, Mm -hmm. Was that considered to do it virtually? And, and if not, why why not? Well, I suppose because it wasn't considered. Okay. Really because there is this desire for a personal encounter. And, uh, you know, Call to Action 58 specifically spoke about the Pope coming to Canada to apologize on this land. That there's that desire for personal, personal engagement. And uh, we want to create that opportunity and yeah. very, very open to it. So um, the decision was to, to work towards uh, new dates uh, and from right. everybody's perspective as soon as possible. Yeah. And I know that the, the Holy Father is probably also very committed and, and keen of having that, that meeting in person. Um, in, in 2009, a much smaller delegation went and met with Pope Benedict mm-hmm. Um would you say that the purpose is different? It's changed. I mean, the, the size of this delegation, it, it's like a 30 delegates that are going. And as you mentioned, there's other people that are going. It's almost like 70 people are, are traveling. Why, why is it different? What has changed? Well, I, there's one continuity. That's the chief and then national chief, uh, Phil Fontaine. Phil Fontaine is, is uh, returning, yes. Still going to be part of this delegation. Uh, so that'd be a great question to ask him or to ask Archbishop Weisgerber. <laughs> right. Um, but, but, you know, we had not gone through the truth and reconciliation process by that point. Um, uh, there was a request to engage with Pope Francis and to hear him say he was sorry uh, for what was suffered in residential schools. Um, but in that interim, 
you know, we have lived as nation and as church through the truth and reconciliation process, which really mm. took us all to school. For yes. us as Catholics, it's been it's been really difficult because it's challenged the dominant narrative that we had about residential schools, uh, that they were uh, largely really good institutions um, where occasionally some bad things happened. Uh, now we've we flipped that, you know. These were institutions geared towards assimilation, which in retrospect, you know, wish we wouldn't have been involved in, right. uh, but where many women and men really served generously and gave of themselves, but in the context of a, of, of a structure and a system which, to, you know, separated children from their families. And, mm -hmm. and uh, not every school did this, but by and large, you know, suppressed language, culture, uh, traditions and ways, um, which are directly related to the, uh, you know, the injustices and the the way in which, if you look at societal indicators of well-being today, where Indigenous people are s struggling, right, in terms of access to water and healthcare, mm -hmm. incarceration rates, addiction rates, family breakdown. Um, that is the intergenerational legacy and trauma that flows from the Indian Act and all that it contained and most especially residential schools. And, and we recognize that now, yeah. um, but we didn't. <laughs> so Yeah, you're right. It's true learning. that the, that, that truth and reconciliation really did take us to school. Um, and you mentioned the calls to action. So, so those call for, for our listeners, those calls to actions came out of the, this commission, the truth and reconciliation commission, you mentioned call to action 58, which calls for the Holy Father to, to, to make an apology, but to make an apology in Canada, that looks like it is a possibility. Would the Holy Father, was it expected that he, I mean, we can't know what he would have done, but was right. it expected that he would make an apology when the delegates are in Rome? You know what? I mean, the, the Holy Father uh, exercises his leadership in a free way. So we, we were really creating a space where Indigenous people could speak and he would respond from his heart. Right. Um, and exactly what shape that would take was not for us to to decide what we what we do see as our responsibility is to share with the Holy See uh, what indigenous people were hoping for from this dele delegation, something of the words that they would want to speak and something of the words that they would want to hear from him. Mm -hmm. And uh, so and, and those words include, you know, a real words of great respect and dignity for them and that he's sorry uh for what they suffered but but you know it's not for us to know exactly what shape that encounter would take right but I trust the holy spirit that it would be good and that it would be life-giving for everybody involved and that it would help help root us in a new path or a new way of walking together mm -hmm. in this time of where we're speaking a lot about synodality it's very much the language of our work uh, in preparation for this uh, uh, for this delegation and for a papal visit. How do we walk together in a non-colonial way? Yes. How do we walk together in a way that uh, really respects Indigenous culture, language, traditions, and ways, seeks to learn from them, appreciates the, their resilience and the wisdom, and uh, shares our own traditions and wisdom? And, and uh, so I think 
that's what we're searching for, right? Mm -hmm. We're searching for, and it, and it can be exemplary or, or an archetype for the country of how to walk together and live together in a, in a good way. Right. And that's something that we should be doing, whether there was a delegation or not going. Um, d does the re postponing allow for, for the, for the journey to continue in a way that would actually make the, the delegation when it goes in a, be in a better place? Well, I think that's the challenge that our eyes have opened up to as of yesterday, right? <laughs> <laughs> because so much focus was on the delegation because my goodness, what, what a lot to organize. Um, so, so much as energy has been invested in making this the best experience possible. Mm -hmm. But, but now that we've got a gap, um, the question is, you know, we've done so much in the last few months. Uh, relationships have improved so significantly and built strong relationships. So now the question is, uh, if we don't have the, the delegation and the return from the delegation as a real impetus to, to take new steps, what's, what steps can we take now? So mm -hmm. I think it's a moment full of opportunity. Uh, and it, a lot of that has to happen on local levels. Yes, I mean, the Bishop's Working Group is working with national organizations, but every diocese, and in many instances, parishes, uh, where there are Indigenous people, where there's a possibility of strengthening relations, uh, of listening to survivors, of hearing stories, of finding out how we can walk in solidarity, uh, what are their needs and their desires, where do we share dreams, uh, you know, so that, mm. that walking together doesn't doesn't stop yes. fundamentally and it doesn't fundamentally happen on a national level yes. you know and, and, it, but yeah. it happens in every region so yeah. that's that's the window of opportunity is for us to really take up that that challenge and invitation in, in a new way and there's also an opportunity for us to continue schooling ourselves educating ourselves and i think that that's part of what you with sure. through, through the conference but also the 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 advent reflections that you recorded um which are something that has been done in the past in terms of helping us journey through Advent, but in a very specific way, uh, there's a connection here. Um, so thank you for doing that. I, I guess as we approach the end of Advent, um, and I'm thinking this weekend as we celebrate the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, mm -hmm. there's Beautiful. probably an opportunity there. Yeah. Well, I just I just want to acknowledge that there was a whole committee of people that did work yes. on those homilies. So I really <laughs> and they're <laughs> and they're hidden and generous souls. So, so a real shout out to uh, to that working group that really assisted in the preparation of those materials and not just the homilies, but the other materials and resources that are on the Bishop's Conference website, uh, which are really a way of helping to uh, connect all our parishes and all our people with uh not just the delegation, but this new way of walking together with Indigenous peoples. Yes, and we'll we'll let people know where they can access those uh, resources uh, at the end of the program. Archbishop, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I hope you can take a couple of days of, of, of breathing um, now <laughs> and uh, enjoy the rest of, of the Advent season and have a blessed uh, Christmas. Thank you so much. God bless and greetings to everybody at Salt and Light and uh, all the listeners out there. Thank you. Archbishop Donald Bolin is the Archbishop of Regina. You can learn more about the work of the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops with Indigenous Peoples at their website, ccb.ca. Be sure to follow the Indigenous delegation when they travel to Rome on our website, 
slmedia.org. Here now is Found Together with Where You Are from their new album, Found Together. That was Found Together with Where You Are from their new album, Found Together. Okay, so Found Together are Jesse and Kathleen LeBlanc. Jesse and Kathleen met in college, and since then they've sung and played together all over at coffee houses, youth retreats, churches, worship events, weddings, care homes, really any place that would welcome them. 
Jesse and Kathleen were married in 2016, and now they have two children. And finally, they've recorded and released their first album, Found Together. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Jesse and Kathleen LeBlanc. Welcome, you guys. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank Thanks, you. Deacon Pedro. We're happy to be here. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have so many questions, but so you met in college. We did. That's tell right. Studying at Trinity Western University out in British Columbia. We both, we're not, neither of us are from there. I'm from Ontario and Jesse's from Nova, Nova Scotia. Scotia. Okay. We both studied out there and uh, yeah, met up from a friend of, a friend of ours wanted us to play music together for an event. She was like, I need musicians. I know Jesse plays music. I know Kathleen plays music. Can you guys provide music for this event? We were like, okay, like, let's just meet up. We didn't know each other really well. And we met up in a music room and started playing music together and that's really how it started how it started which is and 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 so Kathleen I I mean and and a disclaimer like I know Kathleen I know your dad I know you come from a Catholic musical family Jesse is that the same for you Catholic growing up absolutely it's true in the sense that I was Catholic and very (laughs) false in the sense that my family's musical (laughs) (laughs) really so how how did you end up uh, being a musician you know what my mom enrolled me in guitar lessons when I was about seven and I played and I had this guitar teacher who's very talented, but very not my style of music, very, uh, very country. And I was not into country at that point in my life. <laughs> um, I've since kind of warmed up to it. But anyway, I dropped guitar. She tried to enroll me in piano. I dropped piano. And then uh, later on, I went to uh, net retreat, national evangelization teams yep. and leading some worship. And, uh, and really I, I, part of my conversion was around that retreat and uh, and the music was a big part of it and so how old, how old were you when you went to that retreat i would have been 15 oh so you were quite young still um, yeah i went to the retreat and i came home and i said mom where's my guitar <laughs> and do you have this music and she's like yeah because she had a bunch of christian music so right so, that's great playing around then that's great and what i thought everybody in nova scotia was musical come on that is it's true except for my family (laughs) um so so when did and i guess this is a question for both of you but when did you start writing music kathleen uh yeah i wouldn't say that writing music necessarily is our both of our like um like some musicians, like that's all they want to do is write music. I would say that we really have to discipline ourselves and say, okay, hey, we're writing a song. Like it's mm-hmm. not our um, inclination, but we, um, I guess individually on our own had written a little bit, but we started writing music together in um, around 2016, like around the time we were, or no, 2015, just before we got married. Mm-hmm. And uh, the songs that you hear home actually was our first song that we ever wrote together. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, those songs on the EP are kind of like the main songs that we've actually completed and are happy with and decided it was time to finally record them. So how does that, how does that work? Like who do you guys just sit when Kathleen says, cause she's the wife, she goes, sit down, Jesse, we're going to write a song. And Jesse says, yes, dear. And, and do you do it together? Or is it one of you more the lyricist and the other one, the, 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 the composer? Like, how does that work, Jesse? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really even split so far. Yeah. Uh, we, um, for home, we actually had that one commissioned <laughs> through uh, playing a retreat called the One Conference in BC, and uh, and they wanted an original song, and so we were like, okay, well we maybe we should something. write, maybe we should write one, <laughs> and so we had, <laughs> and we met up a couple of times, and really kind of Kathleen had like the first line that we kind of riffed off of, 
and then and then a lot of it came from scripture and and uh, and some of it from Jacques Philippe, the uh, Father Jacques Philippe, yeah. Father Jacques Philippe, uh, the lyrics, and mm-hmm. then yeah, the music kind of. I, I think the lyrics and the music both kind of came around each Come other. Together, yeah. And that's been our process so far. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that you guys as a family, but also as a couple, you pray together. So it does a lot of the music come out of that praying together, maybe? Yeah, I'd say a lot of the themes yeah. um, music come out of our, our prayer life. Um, but, yeah, like home, for yeah. example, is really about um, how we not only find a home in each other in our relationship, but also like the universality of the Catholic Church, like the fact that anywhere you go, you can be with the Lord. You can receive the Eucharist. Mass is generally the same wherever you go. And that the song is really about wherever I go, your love makes me feel at home. Mm-hmm. And so we wrote that really about that comfort we have in the church in our Lord, but also in each other, because we were living um, away from our own families at the time. And so, um, yeah, just the gift that relationships with each other and with God can be is really a home. And so that came from you know, our spirituality, but also our relationship with each other. Yeah. And I, I guess with just with any song songwriting, it's going to reflect where you are in your, in your life. And because you guys are sharing a life together, um, that that's, that's going to reflect what you're both going through. So, so when, when you guys first got married and I heard that you guys were doing music together, it was like a guy and a girl. And I would see all these things about a guy and a girl. And then all of a sudden it's found together and I'm really confused. It doesn't take much to confuse me. So so tell me a little bit about that transition. Why a guy and a girl and why, why are we found together now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a guy and a girl is, was simply because we needed a name and we were kind of tossing things around and it was kind of silly, yeah. uh, kind of fun, <laughs> um, but, but also really vague. And you'd, you'd tell people like, a guy and a girl, search us. And it's like, no, nope, can't find you. There's lots of guys and girls. And so we were thinking about changing our name to, you know, Kathleen and Jesse, a little bit more searchable, a little bit more discoverable. And, and we kind of took it to prayer. And um, we thought that, um, that yeah, we, we wanted to do something more intentional. And so we wanted our name to relate to our ministry. Um, and, and yeah, we prayed about that for a long time, probably a few months before we actually kind of came up with found together and, uh, and yeah, and, and just kind of, it was a total change of chapter and, uh, and basically the thought behind found together is, um, really being found, um, by each other, by your spouse, by your friends, by God, uh, and allowing yourself to be found. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a big cornerstone to our ministry. Yeah, it, it is a beautiful, a beautiful concept. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Why not just Jesse and Kathleen? Then everybody would just search it and they'd find you right away. Um, but I guess found together, they'll find you too. So the album, this first EP is self-titled found together, correct? That's right. Right. Okay. So, and would you say that the songs then kind of capture that idea of being found together that 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 also works as a theme for the album yeah absolutely each of the songs in their own way um explain the the beauty of relationship the beauty of like i said finding a home in each other but also um you know where you are is all about um realizing that you've been maybe physically together for a long time especially like spouses can relate to this like you spend a lot of time together but maybe it's not intentional time Mm -hmm. so where you are is about just taking 
a step back and saying, wow, like I miss you. Let's reconnect. I want to get to know you more and fall in love with you more. So that's what where you are is all about. Just allowing your spouse to love you and to, and to love them in return. Um, and lucky one, which you'll also hear is, uh, it's a fun song just about like, you know, Jesse wrote it for me. It's, it's called the main line is my love. I'm the lucky one. And it's just yeah. a fun, like, cute, funny song about, um, you know, marrying up and, <laughs> and, uh, and you're stuck, stuck together. You like, it's too bad if you find <laughs> out I'm not as great as you thought, like <laughs> we're stuck together. So just kind of a cute, like acknowledgement of our relationships and the joy of them. And, um, yeah, so I would I would say absolutely. And there's another song on there called "Find Me," which um, you can listen to on wherever you stream music. Which it's kind of a it's a very vulnerable song about um, having having the courage to share the darkest parts of your heart with somebody that you love. Because we often will try to put up a face or put up a front to to people, whether it's your spouse or like your friends or your family, to like I've got it all together. But there's a, a moment where you have to say, you know what, I'm not perfect. I have some dark things that I've done or like things I don't like about myself and you need in order to have a true free open relationship you need to be open about those things and to allow the person you love whether it's your spouse or even the Lord most especially to say Lord these are the things that I don't want to give you and here they are and find or yeah find me is all about when once you've done that the person or Lord receives you with so much love he's like I love you anyway these Mm -hmm. things not my love I love you with with all of this together so that's what find me is about yeah it's it's beautiful i love i love that concept of being found together and how we need to be found and be allowed to to be found allow ourselves to be found by each other and by god and finding god too i guess um and and i and i'm going to just add that before we started you guys told me because your website is wearefoundtogether.com and that's because that includes all of us not just the two of you but all of us um I'm hoping that there's more music to come that you guys are still uh, writing more stuff because I really, really, really like your sound and, and it's just, just great stuff. So I know our listeners are really going to enjoy listening to your music. Thank um, you. Thank you. That, that means a lot coming from you. Thank you so is. much. Absolutely. Okay, good. So Jesse and Kathleen LeBlanc, just look for found together um, or go to their website. We are found together.com. Um, and to listen to this interview again or to hear the rest of the program, you can go to slmedia.org slash podcast. And I was going to mention that, yeah, you, you can look for uh, Found Together on their social media platforms as well. Um, here now to take us out is Found Together with that song that Kathleen was just telling us about, Lucky One, from their self-titled album, Found Together.
We're listening to Found Together with Lucky One from their album Found Together. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. You can learn all about Salt and Light Media and support what we do at our website, slmedia.org. If you have any questions or comments or just to say hello, reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour.